I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, July 31st, 2021, and this is episode 131 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Today's episode is sponsored by Open Your Heart by Cheris Hodges. For fashion boutique owner Yolanda Richardson, coming home is a matter of life and death. Witness to a brutal crime, she started receiving death threats. Her only refuge is the protection of her reserved, hired bodyguard, Charles Morris. But Charles is anything but safe. His icy, cool under fire and hidden intensity is too explosive for Yolanda to resist. Love always equals loss. Charles knows that from hard equation all too well. Controlling his emotions keeps his clients from harm and his heart safe. Yolanda's beauty and headstrong spirit have him wanting her in all kinds of ways, but for her own protection, he has to do his best to keep her at arm's length, until unexpected danger and lethal misunderstandings put their survival and any chance at a future together on the knife edge. You can find Open Your Heart by Cheris Hodges wherever books are sold or at kensingtonbooks.com. So this week's best thing. Um, I don't know if it's the best thing. I got my hair done. <laughs> for those of you on audio only. Um, but I don't know if that really rises to the occasion of this week's best thing. It was just something I had to do because I'm going to be traveling a lot over the pa- over the next uh, two, two and a half months. And I would prefer not to have to deal with my hair. And I decided not to shave my head for a while, at least for now. So this is what we came to. I think this week's best thing is... I've been continuing watching Leverage because I'm working on the revisions for the heist book, The Monsters We Defy, and I had never gotten past season three, and I want to watch the brand new season that just dropped uh, this month, but I hadn't finished four, seasons four and five. So I'm through four. I'm in the beginning of season five right now, hoping to just get through those really quickly so that I can watch the, the newest season. Um, I probably will do some more heist research just to get myself in the mindset for this revision which is coming along really nicely. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy watching Leverage. It's such a comfort watch. It's so, something just so comfortable about it. And my husband was like, I think the music is like 50% of why the show is the way it is. Because it's got this very, I don't know how to describe it, like upbeat, peppy, silly music that heightens the silliness of the show. And uh, yeah, so I'm really enjoying that writing update. Like I said, the revision, I mean, it's, it's slow. I'm still, I'm not writing any words yet. I'm still in the planning stages. So reviewing the notes that I took um, for my conversation with my editor and trying to figure out how to make the changes. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? I started with character. Uh, I've been deep in spreadsheets. I've been creating new spreadsheets. I made one for the five team members of the heist, charting out their Enneagrams. So I had downloaded a worksheet uh, that I will link to in the show notes, which is a character Enneagram tracking sheet. And it builds off of K.M. Weiland's work on Enneagrams on her website. And so it's just uh, a chart with the character name, their Enneagram number and name, and then the details of the Enneagram. So ideal, the fear, the desire, the vice, the strength, the weakness, and the lie. And then I found some other information on a different website, and I've added a little column for the ego fixation. So for example, my main character, Clara, is an Enneagram 8. 
the challenger. So her ideal is truth. Her fear is the loss of control. Her desire is to protect or to control. The vice is lust. The strength is bold and decisiveness. Weakness is being domineering and combative. And the lie is only the strong survive. And I have tweaked the general lie for that Enneagram to her personal lie, which is, in order to not be the victim, I must be the aggressor. And then the ego fixation is vengeance. And so charting all of those out for the characters and then making notes about places where they can conflict and have have conflict or have, um, I don't want to say arguments, but one of the things in my revision notes from my editor was that we needed more of the team and um, like more like banter and lightness, but also more conflict between them. So I've been looking at their characters and their personalities and trying to find their different approaches and just really solidify those. Cause I have them in my mind, but it's all kind of nebulous. It's like, you know, like the energy and the vibe of these characters, but charting it down on paper, I think will really help me and we'll see if that works. So I wanted to just have, be able to look at a glance and say, okay, um, you know, if someone, if Clara's strength is being bold and decisive and, um, let's say another character's strength is being calm and reliable. You know, I made those two characters opposites on purpose, knowing that they could come into conflict. So just having a chart of that, I think is helpful. The other thing I've been doing, the other new chart I've been making is one for all of the characters, GMC, the goal, motivation and conflict. I I sort of reorganized a different chart that was meant for just a hero and heroine so that I could put all five of these characters and then the minor and major antagonists of the story all on one spreadsheet and um, just listing out their external goal, the obstacles, motivations, their internal need and the obstacles, the wound, the lie and the fear. And then if they have a character arc, a positive character arc, then what is the lesson that they need to learn to become who they need to become? So what do they need to learn to become the person that can have their internal need fulfilled? And so it's sort of a large spreadsheet with all of these characters on it. And I didn't know the answers to these questions for three out of the five. Like I knew my main character, I knew the love interest, and I had the general, like I said, the energy, the personality of the other three team members. I knew their backstories. Putting all of this down, identify some places where I could punch up the backstory or include something else in the backstory to explain their behavior. And, you know, knowing what really motivates them internally, knowing what their wounds are. I did not know what their wounds are. I, I mean, I couldn't have said it. I couldn't have articulated it. But I went back and read what I'd written about them. And with everybody but one person, it was right there. It was like, I had written it. I just hadn't thought about it consciously, you know? And so the, with the last character, I, I had to really struggle. And and that, that was basically the bigger case where I'm like, oh, you know, I need to bring this out in this in the narrative, like put it on the page more, what is actually motivating him and why his backstory is the way it is, because that's going to be why he's acting the way he is in the present. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with my new spreadsheets. <laughs> I, I like a good spreadsheet. And really thinking in depth about all of these characters. And I hadn't done it before because it's basically, for all intents and purposes, a one POV story. And 
in revision, I have to consider whether or not I'm going to add a small amount of another POV or keep it one POV, but just bring all this, all this forward. There is a second POV, but it's like, like interludes, you know, so it's not the main voice telling the story. The main voice telling the story is Clara. And I knew everything about her, basically, uh, which is not to say that I don't still have to work on her character and her arc and, and getting, getting things on the page and shown that I might have in my mind and um, thinking about things that maybe I haven't thought about before, even with her. But this has been the process of the week, um, figuring out what to do. My, my initial idea and how I usually approach revision was to story grid it. So go back through every scene and make a spreadsheet, my story grid spreadsheet, and list out all the elements of the scene and see what's working and what's not working. But as I reviewed the feedback that I got, that really wasn't how I needed to approach this. And this is a completely new situation because it's a completely new and different kind of story that I'm telling. And so looking at the notes, I I had actually gotten out my, because I usually do the story grid by hand when I do that. So I have legal size paper and I just write everything out. So I'm not on the computer all the time. And I'd gotten out the paper and I was getting ready to do it. And then I stopped and I was like, hmm, it's not really feeling right. You know, like I could do this and I'm sure I would get something out of it. And maybe at a certain point I will need to, but right now I'm at a higher level than that. It's not just these scenes, do these scenes work and how do I improve them? It's, I probably have to add 10 to 20,000 words. So what are the things that are going to happen? The other thing I had to do was list out all of the the conflicts, um, the obstacles along the way to the main goal of the main story question and figure out how to make them harder or make them more complicated based on the feedback. So like I was suspecting, there's not enough twists and turns. <laughs> and I have to consciously figure out every step along the way. How can I add something else that hinders that? How can I make it less easy? It's a little bit too easy now. And I, and I feel like that's kind of my my normal first pass. And not that this is the first pass, but even at this stage, like before the developmental edit, when I've done the best I can do at that point in time, um, it's always helpful to have someone be like, okay, but can you push it further? And like I said, all of my editor's feedback was just like, push this further, push that further. Character, conflict, tone, um, like pacing, things like that. Yeah, I've been listing out, sort of doing a backwards, um, like a backwards outline of if this is the end goal, what happens before that? Like what causes that? What causes that? Doing a cause and effect chain backwards from where I know the end has to be. And it was interesting because on Dorana Penn's podcast this week, uh, she, her guest was talking about like doing a backwards or doing a, a reverse outline. And I found that technique really helpful. Um, and so working backwards, trying to figure out every step of the way, okay, what is the conflict? I don't know if it's going to be another spreadsheet. Right now I just have it listed in my notebook. But I did make another spreadsheet. Actually, I just, I just remembered I actually made a spreadsheet for this. I think it was one of the last things I did. So I made an, a spreadsheet that's called Steps to Heists. There's multiple heists inside of the book. And so I think all of them need to be just pushed a little further. So I sort of took the Dramatica plot steps that I was talking about last week and made a different kind of spreadsheet for that so that I can go through each one of the heists and see what the consequences are. So what's the goal of it? What are the consequences if they don't meet the goal? What are the requirements to get the goal, uh, the conflicts? 
if there's any costs, dividends, prerequisites, and preconditions. So almost all of the dramatic plot steps I, I'm putting into this sheet so that I can look at what I have and then push it. You know, I don't know that I, you know, did that before. I mean, I didn't do this before. I thought about each one and I thought about knowing there had to be obstacles and conflicts and making it difficult. And ultimately they succeed most of the time. You know, there are some things that they fail at and then they have to come up with a new plan. So if I just analyze it, analyze what I have, um, then I can figure out what I need to make it better. That's the plan. So yeah, a couple of new spreadsheets that I'm very happy about. Uh, I'm using numbers instead of Excel because I got a new computer and the, the Apple, the native Apple apps just run faster. <laughs> so that's neither here nor there. It's just a different interface. But I think that even using a different piece of software, it's got like slightly different fonts, you know, than the, the default Excel fonts. It looks different and that's helpful to me having, even just having the different GUI, the different graphical user interface of the application, numbers versus Excel for my spreadsheets, using a different paper spreadsheet than I haven't actually used this character Enneagram tracker. I downloaded it a long time ago, but I've never really used it. It's like the trick of when you read your novel again or read your manuscript again, put it in a different font, either print it out in a different font or change the font on your computer to read it because you'll see different things. Some people have talked about um, changing your manuscript to Comic Sans when you're get when you're stuck, and it really just opens things up. I've never done that. I cannot read anything in Comic Sans. I don't care how much it's supposed to help. <laughs> I can't do it. I am a typeface nerd and a snob, but I have heard from multiple people that this is a thing that helps them. So please try it if you're stuck. Change your <laughs> change your manuscript to Comic Sans and see if it helps. Uh, but yeah, not something I will be doing. I'm very picky about fonts. Like if people give me things to read, you know, to review or critique, I will reformat the entire thing. Like someone sent me something with single spaced. It was in some kind of weird sans serif. And I was like, no, double spaced times new Roman. This is how I can read it. My friend always sends things to me in courier because she outputs from her scrivener in, in courier and I, I can't read in courier. But she knows I do this and I send it back to her in what I view as the proper, I mean, it's the proper manuscript format. It is like how you're supposed to submit things to editors and agents. So anyway, typefaces are important to me. And changing little things in the way that things look, just make it feel fresh and different. And I don't know, it's cleaner. I mean, the, the design of numbers as a program is just so much cleaner and more attractive than Excel is. I probably could put it into like Google Sheets or something. I know a lot of people use the Google Suite. I don't trust it being in the cloud. I would prefer it to be on a application on my hard drive, but that is just me. So that is how I'm approaching this revision right now. I don't know when I'll be writing real words. Uh, I know I need to start relatively soon. So I'm hoping by the end of this week, I'll have a really good handle on like a new outline of including the the new, whether they're new scenes or changes to existing scenes, it'll probably take two weeks, like realistically. And that'll still give me like five weeks to write, which, I mean, if it's only 10, 20,000 words, that's not a big deal. But then there's all like the rereading and 
polishing and revising and all of that. So I've got to keep an eye on the calendar, but you know, the process is the process and I have to take the time it needs. Like I know that I have to sit and think about things for a while until I get any ideas. Like I don't have ideas at the moment right now as I'm recording this, no ideas. I, I've got charts and spreadsheets I can analyze. Uh, I shouldn't say that, you know, I, like I said, I did, I did have a spark of, oh, in his backstory, in the interlude that I do about this character's backstory, I need to change this and this to make his motivation more clear, to make his personality more clear so that later I can build on that uh, for, for points of conflict with the other team members. So it's already paying dividends in terms of sparking things, but I don't have like concrete ideas for scenes or for changes to scenes right now. I've added a few index cards about some possibilities and there are things that got lost or dropped off, um, like put on the back burner and then just dropped completely off the stove in the current manuscript. I'd had some ideas and was playing with some things that have little seedlings in the manuscript, but never sprouted fruit. And those are things I'm coming back to because, you know, I laid some groundwork there that without too much trouble, I think could actually sprout and become something and would make sense because it was already, it was already in my head. So ideas are happening. Things are, it just takes a while for me to wrap my head around everything and digest the feedback and sort of just, it's in there. It's in my mind. It's, it's working. Things are happening behind the scenes that I'm not conscious of, but I know that every day I sit here and put my butt in the chair and spend the time working on it. That one of these days, <laughs> Hopefully within the next two weeks, it'll just start to flow. And that's how it, it always works. So I'm pretty confident. Speaking of Kay and Wyland, her latest podcast and blog post was about whether you should edit as you go. And I think it's worth a listen. I, you know, I'm a proponent of fast drafting. I do not edit as I go when I do first drafts. In revision, I do edit as I go. But um it's interesting to me that people make a lot of assumptions about plotters versus pantsers, though, because the assumption that if you're a plotter, then you know everything. And because uh, I think her, her point was that plotters, oh, I can't remember now, but I know I disagreed with it. <laughs> so go read the article because <laughs> it was making assumptions. And, and maybe maybe some, I mean, obviously some people are like that, but I think she said that she, she's a plotter. And she does edit as she goes. I'm, I know I'm misquoting this because I listened to this several days ago. But it just reminded me of other places where I've heard these assumptions about plotters and how they do this or they do that because they are a plotter. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works for me. Like, I do plot a lot. But I also discovery right. I also find out so many things as I'm doing that first fast draft, which is really exciting and interesting and, and surprising and Sometimes it goes along with what I thought it was going to be, and a lot of times does not. So anyway, I still thought it was interesting. And I'm going to link to this um, podcast episode from a new podcast called Banished. It included this really fascinating interview with this artist, this black man who's a painter. Um, so the, the, the show is kind of about there was a controversy in this school that in the 1930s, uh, they had put up some mur murals. It was part of the WPA initiative where they were getting artists jobs. And the artist in the 30s had painted like George Washington and 
there was some really disturbing imagery with like slaves and Native Americans. And so in the 60s, the students at the school had protested, wanting to cover up the paintings. Um, and instead, they hired this Black artist to do other murals, like in conversation with that one, so to show a different viewpoint. And so he did those. And now they've the school has voted in 2021 to actually cover up the murals that, you know, they wouldn't do it in the 60s. And um, I think it's along the lines of te- tearing down the Confederate statues and things like that, like covering up these disturbing images. Um, but I think it's really worth a listen because the artist who, you know, he was only 19 when he did the the other, the murals that were sort of, I don't want to say in opposition to, but contextualizing, I guess, the original murals. And I don't know too much about the issue, but his perspective was that the original artist who had painted these disturbing things was making a critique about George Washington as being a founding father, but a slave owner and, you know, responsible for um, mistreatment of slaves and of Native Americans. And so that's why he had painted those disturbing images. And so we don't need to remove remove them like the school system is going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to to cover them up with like wood paneling or something like that um and his point as the person who had actually been hired and and had in the 60s was one of the people agitating for initially the removal of the murals and painting his own murals um just saying that we have to put everything in context and that that original artist had something he was trying to say and maybe that's gotten lost over time he also had, he had this just the way he talked about his art and this art that he does up about um, shipping containers and then the metaphor of the shipping containers. Like I was driving, listening to this interview, and my jaw just dropped open, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, that is so fascinating." Um, so I think it's worth a listen if you are an artist or an art lover. He considers himself a maker and not an artist, which I thought was also interesting and maybe a little pretentious, but I, I see where he's coming from. Like the word artist. The meaning changes and it can kind of change with society and culture, but he he makes things and he's a maker. So I don't know. I'll link to it if you are interested. And I was interviewed by Arlie Sorg, who is a friend of mine. He's also an editor at Locus and uh, Fantasy Magazine, and he writes for other science fiction and fantasy magazines. Um, so it was really cool. It's on his website. I will link to it. He asked me about cons because we met at ReaderCon uh, a couple of years ago. I really had a great time at ReaderCon. I had fun. But I've been thinking about Worldcon, which is coming up in December in DC, just down the street. And I've been very ambivalent about going to Worldcon for a number of reasons. I'm still not sure. I haven't bought a ticket. I'm, I said, at, at minimum, I'll go to BarCon. I'll just go hang out in the lobby and like say hi to people who are in town. But as as far as actually participating, I, I just, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so he asked about cons, kind of sensing that I was ambivalent. Amb- ambivalent in general about cons. I I didn't grow up going to science fiction and fantasy conventions, um, even though I love the genre. I think it's just because I I enjoy it on my own and I didn't really need to go places with other people. Being an introvert, like extremely introverted, that wasn't appealing. But as an author, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and I actually, in normal times, travel quite a bit. Um, Anyway, I'll link to that too. Yes, yeah, some interesting questions about my favorite movies and some other stuff that I don't always get asked, so it's really nice. So that is it for me for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful week. My goals are to get as close as I can 
on this revision, get close to being able to start writing words, um, which means probably a new outline, a new synopsis. That is the ultimate goal. Once I have that, I can dive into maybe story girding. I don't know. I still don't know how it looks. This revision is different than all the others. So I'm playing it by ear, but I feel like I'm on a good track. And I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get these show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.